Hey everyone, and welcome to CF Online. My name is Junior Rodriguez, and I want to thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. This helps us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, Pastor Rick is going to begin our new series called A War Between Two Worlds. Let's listen. We're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. You listen as I read beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open where? In heaven. So we're going to begin in heaven. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone seated on it. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed, literally sealed down with seven seals. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Now watch what happens after that in verse 12, or chapter 12. The Bible says, then, then war broke out in heaven. Everybody say war. war. Everybody say war. war. Everybody say war broke out. War broke out. Yeah, war broke out in heaven. Watch this. Michael, Mike L, and his angels fought against the dragon, that's Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Stop right there. Everybody grab a seat at all of our campuses and hold on because, wow, <laughs> what a book is this book of Revelation. Now, to help you grasp the meaning of all of that that we just read, we have set the stage up like a war room, specifically war room vintage World War II. Everybody say war room. Everybody say war room. Yeah, now for those of you who may not know what a war room is, let me give us all a quick skinny on it. To begin with, a war room becomes necessary when there is a war to be fought. I mean, duh, right? At any rate, a war room is a military-style conference room, listen to this, in which a war is planned. In other words, once war has been declared... And once the decision to fight the war has been given, listen, having a war room to come up with a war plan, yeah, is absolutely essential. By the way, one look inside of a war room, and you'll see they're populated by military brass and sometimes high-powered politicians. These are the leaders who will lead the war effort. Now stay with me because a war room facilitates collaboration between multiple kinds of military and multiple layers of intelligence gathering communities. A war room is equipped with war equipment like radar, in our day GPS, hard copy maps, to pinpoint targets and theaters of operation. 
But folks, here's the point. This is what I want you to get. The purpose of a war room gathering, the purpose of a war room gathering, listen, is to come out of the war room with a war plan to fight the war and take down the enemy. It's that simple. Everybody get it? Get it? All right, let me give you an example of that. World War II. If you know anything about World War II, you know the Nazis were hellacious. They were hell-driven because they had been, become intoxicated by a hell of a man, literally, a demonically possessed man named Hitler. And Hitler's agenda was to control all of Europe, to seize control of all of Europe, exterminate the Jewish population from Europe, and then from there to take over control of the entire world. And listen, listen, by 1940, Hitler's National Socialist Party had seized control of almost all of Europe, and check this out, to block the Americans, to block the Allies from being able to save Europe from Hitler, he installed a military wall along the coastline. It was called the Atlantic Wall. But in reality, it was like the gates of hell designed to keep America from saving Europe. Tell you what, hold that thought back to the war room. Because as Hitler was planning his invasion of Europe, check this out, at the same time, the allies in their war rooms were planning their own invasion. Specifically, the invasion of Hitler. (laughs) And that invasion began with what was called Operation Overlord, better known as D-Day, as allied warriors stormed the beaches of Normandy, at the gates of hell there, if you will. And from there, they set up a base and went in and took down the Germans, took down Hitler. But here's what I want you to understand. Listen, the plan to save Europe, the war plan to save Europe began in a war room. The great generals like Michael and Gabriel, I mean, can I give myself away there a little bit, eh? The great generals like Eisenhower and the allied generals came together and they came up with a war plan to save Europe and to take Hitler down. But here's my point. The war plan was mapped out in a what? In a what? In a war room. Now, with all of this imagery in mind, let me turn a corner and bring that over to our study of the book of Revelation. Because what an image of Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now, I want you to put your thinking caps on. Because the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about a war between two worlds. The world of God and the world of Satan. The world of heaven and the world of hell. The world of Michael and his angels and the world of Satan and his angels. And make no mistake about it, folks, the war is over control of this planet and the people who live on this planet. This is what the battle is over. Now, mind you, God and Satan have been at it a long time, haven't they? 
And there have been times when this war between God and Satan seems like a, a cold war. But have no illusions. This war is going to come to a head. This war is foretold in the book of Revelation. It is going to be the epic war of all wars. Now, thus far in the book of Revelation, we've, we've kind of come through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, sort of chapter 4, a little bit of chapter 5, and it's been pr- pretty mild stuff, right? But let me tell you, and this is my prop- proposition today, listen to this. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, mark the beginning of God's war, listen, to take back this planet from Satan and to give it back to us. Let me say that again. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 mark the beginning of God's war to take back our home planet from Satan and to give it back to us. Now, you might be saying, Rick, what do you mean God's going to go to war against Satan to take back the planet and give it back to us? What do you mean by that? Well, let's find out. As we crack the pages again on Revelation chapter 4 and 5, kind of get a running start into this this week, I want to give you two major thoughts. How many of you have your listening guides at all of our campuses? Wave those in the air. All right, here we go. If you're filling in the blanks, number one, Revelation chapter 5 unveils heaven's war room. Revelation chapter 5 unveils heaven's war room. Now, with that in mind, let's pick it up. Let's kind of go back to the beginning again like we did last weekend to chapter 1. To get a bit, because chapter 1 sort of tells us what this book is about and, and where it's going. It tells you how to figure this book out. So it's very helpful. So let's go back there and kind of get a running start. Specifically, I want, to list, want you to look at chapter 1, verse 19. Because watch what it says. God says to John the prophet, he says, John... Write, therefore, what you, what kind of verb is that? Have seen the past. What is now, present tense, and what will take place later in the future. In other words, this is a book about the past, the present, and the future. And what this book does, this is so important for you to understand, is it it unveils the chronological sequence of events that will usher in the second coming of Christ and the retaking of control of this earth by him. And the book is in chronological order. In fact, let me give you a a quick bird's eye view of the book of Revelation because I think this is helpful. We'll do this from time to time to keep everything in the big picture so that you can understand it. Again, this is always going to come across in this study from now on, more like teaching than preaching. So here we go. This is the timeline of Revelation. So Revelation begins in chapter 1 by taking us back in time to the death and resurrection of Christ. We talked about that for weeks when we kicked off this book. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 take us into the present, into what is called the church age. We are living right now in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation in the church age. God is calling out a people for himself. Interestingly, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 take us to heaven. 
And God shows us what it's going to be like when we die, when we go to heaven, what that experience is going to be like. And we unpack that for weeks and weeks and weeks. Incredible what heaven is going to be like there around God's throne. But as you're going to see, it's not just a, just a throne room, and I'll get back to that in a, to a moment. But then, as we come back to chapter 6, as we move to chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible moves us forward into time, into a, a time that theologians call the tribulation. But we're just going to call it the war, because that is what it is. It is a seven-year war where God, where Christ fights to take back the earth. Then chapter 19 reveals the second coming of Christ as he comes back as the warrior God at the battle of Armageddon. Once he comes back, he takes back control of the planet. This is in chapter 20. Sets up a kingdom that will last how many years? thousand years. And then he creates a brand new earth. If you see that big picture, things make a little more sense. Now, we're here in chapters 4 and 5, and the scene is in heaven. Get it? Get it? All right, let's read it. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open. Where? In heaven. Watch this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone seated on it. Who is that? It's God. Now, folks, don't miss this because this is a trip, a supernatural trip into the throne room of God. This is the throne room from which the universe is being administrated. But here's a newsflash. This throne room of God is also the war room of God. You get the idea in chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. You say, what is that? That is the gathering storm of the wrath of God against Satan and his angels and the evil people who have served Satan, who have controlled this earth long enough. And folks, here is the point. A war is coming. This war will be fought between Christ and Satan. And the war will be over control of the earth and the people who live on the earth. That war happens in chapter 6 through 18. But here's what you need to understand for now. To execute this coming war, the throne room of God is in war room mode. And it is from this war room that God will plan and launch the all-out invasion against Satan to take back control of the world. By the way, you read Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and you find the beings gathered in this war room are the most powerful creatures in the world. 
God Almighty himself is seated on the center throne. Christ is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The four living creatures, the most powerful creatures in the universe, we'll talk about them, explain who they are. Michael, Gabriel, Uriel, Raphael, the seraphs, and then millions and millions of angels who have become weaponized by God to fight this war. And this coming war is going to be an epic war. Now, folks, with that in mind, let's turn the pages, you will, to chapter 5. Because chapter 5 stays in heaven around this war room. Watch what happens. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, again, that's God, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, stop right there. Because in this vision, John sees God seated on a throne. And in God's right hand is this scroll. By the way, the right hand of God is always seen as the hand of power. It is the hand of control. It is the hand of dominance. At any rate, God has in his hand this scroll, and the text says the scroll is not opened. In fact, the, the scroll has been sealed down seven times. And here's why. The scroll that God has is no ordinary scroll. In fact, write this down as A. This, this scroll holds God's war plan. The scroll holds God's war plan. Then I saw in the right hand of him who, was, who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So stop there again. Because this scroll that God has in his hands has writing on both sides because it is jam-packed with tactical and military information to fight this world against Satan in order to take back control of the earth. And folks, don't get me wrong. Satan does not own the earth. Satan never has owned the earth, never will own the earth. God alone is the owner of the earth. In fact, Psalm 24 says this, the earth is whose? It is the Lord's. It is Yahweh's. And, just to make sure we get it, and what? Everything in it. Put another way, Satan has not done a grab on this planet and stolen it from God. However, Satan has taken control of this planet away from us. Away from humans. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created it with the plan that it would be ours, be our home. It would be ours to enjoy. In fact, listen, let's go all the way back to the book of Revelation, I mean to the book of Genesis. Genesis 1:27. The, the, the contrast between the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible are remarkable. You have to understand both ends of the story. But let's go back to the beginning. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, 
fill the fill the earth yes and subdue it rule over every living creature folks i love that god gave us this planet for us to work it to have jobs and enterprise and to mold it and shape it in ways that we want to he gave us this planet to enjoy this is our home isn't it this is a home we were made from the earth and we were made to live on this earth and in the beginning it was perfect we had eternal life and we had this planet but in Genesis 3 when man made the decision to go away from God and to go with Satan. Control of the earth was given over to Satan. And he has ruined this planet with death and sorrow and pain and suffering and disease and depression and tears. Death has the final word on all of us. We no longer control this planet. It is under the control of Satan. But check this out. God holds in his hand the war plan to take back control of this earth for us. Listen to verse 1 again. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed, here's a key point, with seven seals. You say meaning what? Write this down as B. The seven seals are the seven stages of this coming invasion. Now, think he caps on. Because God has this plan, this war plan in his hand. But the war plan will be be launched, the invasion against Satan will be launched in stages. Or we might say it might be launched in waves. And you get the idea is that as each seal is broken, that part of the scroll of the war plan is unveiled and immediately the invasion of that part is launched. You get the idea in chapter 6 verse 1. This is where the war begins and we're going to get there next week. But I want you to watch how it, how, how it happens. This is important. Chapter 6 verse 1 says, I watched as the lamb opened the First of the seven seals, verse 3, when the lamb opened the second seal. Verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal. Verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. Chapter 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal. The idea, folks, is these... These scrolls are one within the other. The idea is is, as he breaks the first seal open, he opens up and reveals the first part of the war plan. That part is then immediately launched. That invasion is launched. Then the Lamb of God opens up the second seal, unveils that part of the war plan. That part of the, the invasion is immediately launched. Then he opens the third part, the third seal. That part is opened up. That part of the war plan is revealed. That part of the invasion begins. Then the fourth. And the fourth wave is launched. Then the, what? The fifth. That part of the invasion is revealed and launched. 
Then comes the sixth. That part of the war plan is revealed and immediately launched. And then comes the final seal. It is opened, and that part of the invasion is launched. Get it? Get it? Yeah. In fact, it's a lot like the invasion of Germany. It came in waves, didn't it? The first wave was the invasion at Normandy. The second stage, the second wave came with reinforcements coming to the beach. The third wave came as they moved into interior Europe. The third wave came as they reached Berlin. The fifth wave came as they surrounded Germany and surrounded Hitler. And finally, in the end, he put a gun to his head and shot himself. And all of Europe was saved. But it began in a war room with a war plan. And just like that, to save the earth... God comes out of the war room, as it were, with a war plan. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to chapter 5. Because as God presents this seven-stage war plan, all of the powers of heaven see the scroll. But then there comes a great challenge. Who has the power and the clout to execute this plan? Who has the power to take on Satan and his demons? Watch this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. What's the next word? Who is worthy? In other words, who's got the power? to break the seals and to open the scroll. Get it. God has the war plan in his right hand. This is the war plan to put an end to sorrow and tears and suffering and death. This is the war plan in the hand of God to take down Satan. And this will be the war to end all wars. And God has the plan in his hand. But look at verse 3. But no one in heaven or on the earth or even under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Folks, those words are so depressing. I mean, God has in his hand the scroll to take down sin, death, and, ha- and Satan. And this search is launched to find somebody who can pull it off. Earth is scanned. Heaven is ransacked. Hell is ser- searched out. But nobody is found who can execute the plan. And John begins to weep. You see, what was needed is a warrior leader. Not, not a leader who leads from the back of the troops, but a warrior leader who will go out front and take on this hell of an angel named Satan, man-to-man, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, somebody who can do that. Verse 3, but no one. Everybody say, but no one. Everybody say, but no one. But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. I wept and wept. 
because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Folks, the, the tears of John represent the tears of all of God's people through the thousands and thousands of years that Satan has dominated our home. These are the tears of the mother and father standing over the grave of their little girl. These are the tears of a single mother wondering how she's going to make ends meet. These are the tears of that person who fights depression day after day after day. These are the tears of that person who has been given the diagnosis. You've got cancer and you don't have long to live. These are the tears of hopelessness. You ever felt hopeless? This world can back you into that corner to where you feel hopeless. And that's where John is in heaven. He just says, what's hopeless? Nobody can pull it off. But I love this. Just when things get hopeless, write this down as big number two. Revelation unveils our warrior. Our warrior general. Listen to verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, John, do not weep. Behold, the, everybody say that next word, the. Say it like you mean it, the. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Folks, picture it. John has his hand in his faces. His face, he is weeping tears of hopelessness. When all of a sudden somebody in heaven lifts his chin and says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looks up, expecting to see a lion. Expecting to see the king of the jungle. The lion of the tribe of Judah. But instead, he sees a lamb. Listen to verse 6. Then I saw a lion. Is that what it says? Then I saw a what? A lamb? Are you serious? A lamb looking as if it had been slain? No, you've got to know this took John aback. John's expecting to see a lion, the king of, of the jungle, one who can fight. But he sees a lamb. And the lamb looks as if he's been slain. The word slain there, sfadzo in the Greek, was a word used to describe crucifixion. In other words, even in heaven when we see Jesus, he will bear in his body the scars of Calvary when he fought that war for our souls. He is indeed our wounded warrior, is he not? And we'll see the wounded warrior in heaven. But I want you to watch what our wounded warrior does. Listen to verse 7. He, that is the Lamb, the Lamb of God, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I love it. Jesus Christ, the one who went man to man on the cross against Satan and saved our lives on an everlasting scale is now going to go to war against Satan, not for our lives, because those have, been, those have been rescued. But he's going to go to war the second time for our home. 
for our planet. Because there's something in all of us that loves our home, that loves this world. And Christ is going to go to war for it. In fact, to get that in your mind, I want you to write this down as A and B. I'm almost finished. In the past, Christ fought to save our eternal life. Watch verse 8. And when he had taken it, the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And they started singing a new song, saying, you, not the lion, the Lamb, you are worthy. You've got the power to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were what? You were slain, and with your blood, your blood had power. You have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. I love it because all of heaven breaks out in song when they see this wounded warrior. Because this wounded warrior is the one who fought the war on the cross to give us ever lasting life. But you see, that raises the question, doesn't it? Where are we going to spend eternity? You remember last week, weekend, we talked about how some people just aren't really, you know, thrilled about eternity because they think we're going to spend eternity in heaven and be a ghost and sit around on a cloud and play a harp. And it's just going to be, you know, a church service that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so for some reason, you know, it's just not that thrilling for us. But heaven's going to be amazing. But that's not where we're going to end up. Because here's what I love. We were made for the earth. We love this planet. Write this down as B, and I'm almost done. In the past, Christ fought to save our eternal life. In the future, Christ fights to save our earth life. Watch what happens in heaven. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Now listen to verse 10. Here's the most wonderful verse of all of them. Watch what they say. You have made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and we will reign in heaven. Is that what it says? No. We will reign on the what? On the earth. Folks, make no mistake about it. Christ will go to Satan Go to war with Satan, and that war will be fought on this earth, and it will be fought for this earth. And in this vision, in Revelation chapter 5, God shows us the war room. He then shows us the war plan, and then finally, he reveals the warrior who can fight this war, take on Satan, lead the invasion, take Satan out once and for all, and then give us back what he gave to us in Genesis 1 and 2. Give us back our home, the earth. I'm telling you, this is what makes all of heaven get so excited. By the way, the war... To do that is revealed in Revelation chapter 19. Can we read that? You know, when somebody's going to show you the end of the movie and you don't want to see the end of the movie because you haven't gotten there yet, isn't that called a spoiler alert? Okay, spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear the end of the story, stop up your ears. But I think you need to see it. 
and then see it, how it's going to be won. Here's the end of the war. Chapter 19, verse 11. Listen to this. You just listen as I read it. And I saw, what? Heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. He's not coming back the second time on a donkey. He's coming back on a charger. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Say it like you mean to and make war. war. Yes. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. That's his own blood at the cross. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, that's the angelic armies we're going to talk about, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp, what? Sword. That with it he should strike, smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not coming back as the wounded warrior. He's coming back as the victorious warrior. This might be one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Listen to what happens. Revelation 20. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That'll be the last we ever hear from him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And Christ is going to give us, God is going to give us back our earth where we are going to spend forever and ever and ever. You'll have a body. There'll be enterprise. There'll be challenges just like now. There'll be fun. There'll be work, but without the possibility of death and sorrow and pain. And listen, let me tell you what that calls for. Write this down as big number three, and then we're going to close. This calls for what kind of worship? Great worship. You see, you see it's in heaven it's not when we see Christ as a wounded warrior. It's when we see him as the victorious warrior giving us back the planet. That's when all of the worship just goes crazy. Listen to what happens. You have made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and we will reign on the earth. Now watch the praise that breaks out. Then I looked and I heard the voice that is after that declaration. Then, after he said we're coming back to the earth, then I looked... <laughs> And I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory, and what? You know what that verse is saying, folks? Because God is going to give us back our planet, and because Jesus is the warrior who will fight the war to make that happen, you know what God is saying? God is saying, I want all of you, God's people now, to take all of the power that God may have given you, whatever power you have, 
to take all of your wealth, whatever he may have given you, to take all the wisdom, whatever he may have given you, take all of the strength that you have, take all of the honor that he has given to you, take all of the glory that you have, take all of the praise that may have given you, take everything God has given to you and channel it toward the praise and honor and glory of our warrior king. By the way, just so you know, doesn't he deserve powerful worship? Doesn't he deserve strong worship? Just so you know, that's one of the reasons why we're trying to pull everybody in a little closer. I know you may not get your favorite seat, and I understand that. I like my favorite seat. But if we can come together and give more powerful worship, isn't that worth it? Isn't he worth it? He's better than my favorite seat, right? He deserves the most powerful worship that we can give him. So on all of our campuses, let's stand. And we're going to read this verse one more time, and then we're going to sing that song. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Verse 12. Everybody ready? Let's read it twice. Here we go. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now let's lift it up. Let all of heaven hear us. Let's let our warrior king hear hear us. You ready? Here we go. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I love you all, Christ Fellowship. God bless you. What a great message by Pastor Rick. If you decided to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmetme.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.